0: Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Melick, and I'm joined by my co host Sal Dietrich. Sal, are you excited about today's guest?
1: Ed, very excited. We're joined by former Congressman Frank Wolf to talk about his passions for human rights and religious freedom. Congressman Wolf serves as a distinguished singer fellow of the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative with a mission to create a world where religious freedom is recognized by all nations as a fundamental human right. Congressman Wolf joins us to talk about his time in Congress, the work he's doing today, and what keeps him going after so many years of public service.
0: Congressman Wolf, welcome to Raisin30.
2: Thank you, glad to be with you.
0: Um, You spent a good deal of time focusing on human rights and religious freedom issues when you were in Congress, as evidenced mainly by the uh, International Religious Freedom Act, which was, you authored that, and it was signed, I think, in December 2016. Um, now you're focusing all of your energies on this issue. And I was curious if you think that this is a sort of a higher purpose for you.
2: Well, I think it is in some respects, although we worked on these issues when I had my other job. But uh, we are now seeing uh, more persecution uh, in the world today probably than any time, certainly in modern times. And the Pew survey has roughly 74 percent the world's population is suffering pers- persecution we see in china catholic bishops under house arrest protestant pastors in jail you've seen uh, over 300 lawyers who have been defending uh christians and also falun gong and, and others have been arrested and tortured you see in pakistan christians uh, asia Bibi, a christian woman who's in under a death sentence for blasphemy and uh, uh, vietnam is not well you see in iraq the basically the collapse of the, the, the Christian Church. You see uh, one and a half million Christians in 2003, now down to rough 200 to 25,000, 250,000. You see in Syria the Christian community is evaporating. You see in Tibet a number of Buddhist monks and nuns have poured kerosene on their bodies and set themselves aflame in protest to the Chinese government. Yet, interesting enough, you're seeing silence on the part of the West. I mean, I think there's less interest or activity on the part of West Western government and the Western faith community than any time that I've seen in the last 30-some years.
0: Yeah, I, I noticed, I read on the website, it says 70% of the world, 5.3 billion people uh, are living in, living in countries characterized by religious persecution, discrimination, restrictions. Um, more people are persecuted for their faith now than at any other time in the world's history. I think for Americans, that's shocking because, again, we have freedoms we take for granted here. Are you working more passionately and excitedly these days than you really ever have in the past?
2: Well, I can't say yes, because we worked on this issue uh, since I got interested in it. In the after I'd been in Congress for a couple a couple of terms, so we worked on the issue. The first bill that passed to set up the the, the commission and the law was in 19 late 1990s. So, but it continues to be, and I felt that I could do more, quite frankly, out of Congress on these issues than 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 in Congress. But I think the concerns, the problems, are greater, and yet the response from the faith community is actually less. Uh, President Reagan and in the mid '80s, uh, gave a speech where he said, "The words in the Constitution and the words in the Declaration of Independence were a covenant, not only with the people in Philadelphia in 1776 and, and 1787 when the Constitution was ratified, but a covenant with the entire world." And he was inferring it was a covenant with the people in men, the Tank Man, if you remember, the man who stood out, the kid who stood in front of the tank. That's right. And and so, but Dorian. After Reagan left and a couple more administrations, that covenant I think has been pretty much ripped up and destroyed. And so how do you reestablish that, that, that covenant? Things are worse in China today almost than they were from the, from the 70s. Uh, the conditions in China are actually horrible, and yet I don't see the church really uh, speaking out. We're seeing in, <clears throat> in, in Iraq more biblical activity, took place in Iraq than in any other country of the world other than Israel. Abraham is from Iraq, he's from Ur, which is modern-day on my first trip when the war broke out. We went to Iraq, and I was in Nasiriyah, and they told me it was Ur, and they took me to the site of a ziggurat that had been there when Abraham lived, lived there. They took me to the site that they said was his village, but it's, it's Ur. Ezekiel is buried in Iraq, Daniel lived his life in Iraq, Daniel is buried in Iraq. When I was there, the last trip we went up in the northern Iraq area, up in the Ur- into a town called Al-Kush, uh, I-, I went to Nahum's tomb. Nahum's tomb is in, a, in a, a synagogue that's falling down, and it's covered with tarp, and I remember I kept lifting up tarp, after tarp. It's, it's Nahum's tomb in mean, the Old Testament, the book of Nahum. You're not hearing anything really from the West. You've seen the Christian community go from one and a half million in 2003 down to 200, 225, 250, 50,000. You have genocide. The Congress has called it genocide. Uh, You have the administration called it genocide. And you have a group out of England called Aid to the Church in Need that is predicting that in five years, it'll be less than that now because their report came out I think about six months ago, there will be no Christians, none left in the cradle of Christendom. And there's a saying out in the Middle East, if you've been in the Middle East, they say first the Saturday people and then the Sunni people. The Jewish community are the Saturday people. And the, the Jewish population of Iraq in 1950 was 150,000, the finance minister was Jewish. When I was there, I said, how many Jewish people are left? They said, Mr. Wolf, maybe 10, but we think maybe only four elderly elderly men. When I was in Egypt about three years ago, I uh, met with a leader of the Jewish community, and I asked her how many Jewish people were left. She said, 20 individuals, more or less. She said, we're all in our 70s and 80s, And if you remember the Jewish community, the population of of Egypt, the Jewish population in Cairo and also Alexandria was about 80,000. Now they're down under 20 people. So what is taking place to the Jewish community is now taking place to the Christian community. And yet we're finding the church in the West at this very difficult time now now not speaking out. We also are, are seeing a growing anti-Semitism around the world and even on American college campuses and yet the church has again been silent so it's it's at the time there's more problems, more difficulty, more persecution, more death, more destruction seeing the end of Christianity in the cradle of Christendom uh, seeing that it would probably be impossible for Paul to uh, take the road to Damascus and go to Straight Street we see less response on the part of uh, the church. And there are many passages in the church. Look at Luke 4, or when Jesus was speaking to uh, the synagogue in Nazareth. He talks about oppression, or read Ecclesiastes 4. one or Proverbs, there's so many where that tells you to speak out to advocate, and yet the church is really very, very silent.
0: I, I feel like we should go a little bit off script because I had a number of questions. I talked to Luann, and she was sort of prodding me to, to, to ask you certain things. But what I'm curious about, giving that background, what are you guys doing uh, to address this?
2: Well, we, we, have, we have visited there. We have, we have advocated for. Uh, uh, we were active in getting the Congress to call it genocide. Uh, we're uh, doing some things, uh, pushing legislation. Hopefully, the new administration will do some fairly dramatic things. To help the Christian community and the Yazidis and other religious minorities who want to stay in Iraq, all the interest and focus has been on the refugees. It's been, which is fine. I, I understand it. If somebody wants to leave, you you can help them. But most of the Christian communities and most of the Yazidis that we met and others didn't want to leave. They want to stay. So, what are you doing to help the people that want to stay? And so we're doing that. On the issue of Nigeria, we've come out uh, and recommended uh, that there be a special envoy to advocate for what's taking place in in Nigeria. Boko Haram is the most dangerous terrorist group in the world. They're more dangerous than ISIS. They have pledged allegiance to ISIS. Boko Haram has killed 20,000 people, mainly Christians, in the last five years. The church, when I went there, the Christian community keeps saying, Mr. Wolf, does anybody in the West care about us? You almost never see a story about about, uh, 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 Nigeria in the Washington Post. You have 180 million people living in Nigeria, the largest country in Nigeria, in 2050 they will be, they will have a larger population than the United States. 20% 20% of the refugees who are crossing the Mediterranean, many drowning, and are from Nigeria in the Lake Chad region. You've seen 900, 900, 900 churches destroyed, and so we're trying to get the church in the West to focus, but the church in the West just really doesn't seem to focus on it. So we're trying to bring these issues out, uh, bringing the attention, uh, I, I'm testifying uh, Uh, before Congress uh, this afternoon. You're going to have to change the time because this will be old. But today on the whole issue of everyone said if you give PNTR, most favored nation trading status, to China, they'll improve. They've gotten it. It's now worse. They're persecuting Christians, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church. They're arresting lawyers. Read the Washington Post piece a couple months ago about a lawyer, Li Chun Fu, C-H-U-N-F-U, they, they arrested him for defending people of faith. He was tortured, put in prison for 500 days. 500 days. He's now a schizophrenia. He's, he's, his mind is messed messed up. I've not seen anybody in the West, the church, advocate for this guy. You have Jalbo, who was the 2010 Nobel Prize winner. He's been in prison for six years. Yeah, and so, interesting to swing back to nigeria you may remember over a thousand days ago it's probably been it happened in april so it's probably 1100 days ago christian girls the chibok girls were kidnapped remember the chibok girls they did everybody did hashtag bring back our girls right well how many have come back very few 21 where are the people that did hashtag bring back our girls? Were they only interested to get coverage or did they wanna? And we met with counselors who counsel the families of the girls. They said one, the girls would never come back unless there's a major effort on the part of the West. Two, they will all have been assaulted. They will have been abused. Three, they will all almost be with, with child or be pregnant. And lastly, they've all been forced to convert to Islam. Well, hashtag bring back our girls. It was on the papers, it was everywhere. The girls have not come back. And in many respects, hashtag bring back our girls hurt because the initial response of the parents were, that's great, America cares, the West cares. I think Prime Minister Cameron did a hashtag bring back our girls. I think the White House did it it too. That actually put a, a higher price on their head made it less likely that Boko Haram would release them. And now, when's the last time you've seen a story about hashtag bring back our girls? They're still there. Yep. Right. That's and right. so we're trying to bring these things to the attention of the church in the West because if the church in the West won't advocate, and I had pastors in Nigeria say, so why, why won't the West speak out? The West brought Christianity here. And now they've just abandoned us. And if if you saw maybe two months ago the the quote by the Irish rock singer Bono, he said the fracturing of Nigeria is an existential threat to Europe. Europe is destabilized now by one million Syrian refugees coming in. If, and I would say when, Nigeria fragments, you will have many millions, many, many, many millions pouring into to Europe and yet you haven't had an article in the Washington Post, you have nobody seems to care care about it. So it's, uh, and in, in I think in, I don't know the exact date but soon they will be the third largest country in the world population wise. And we find almost no activity on the part of the church in the West to advocate.
0: I'd like to remind listeners that we are interviewing uh, Congressman Frank Wolf, a retired 17-term congressman who now serves as a distinguished senior fellow of the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative, where their mission is to create a world where religious freedom is recognized by nations across the globe as a fundamental human right. Maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about uh, the scorecard. That you've developed because I think it's called the uh, Religious Freedom Congressional Scorecard so you're trying to help people identify uh, what their congressmen the representatives are doing in this area so maybe tell us a little bit about that
2: right the scorecard covers a number of issues and then shows what different members of Congress House and Senate have done and it gives a grade but it's interesting I would sort of look at it from a different way than maybe you would look at the scorecard. The scorecard may really very well be a scorecard for the faith community and not for the Congress. Most of these issues, almost every member of Congress, House and Senate would be for, if they knew about them. So maybe if a member of Congress isn't scoring very high, Maybe that's because the churches and the faith community in his and her congressional district haven't heard from them. Everything that takes place in Congress is downstream from culture. So in fairness to a member of Congress who maybe got a C, didn't get the greatest grade, maybe he or she isn't really hearing from the church i just went through the the the, uh, the church has been silent on nigeria the church is silent on the end of christianity i mean if you can get if, if you're in a faith community you can't get worked up about the end of christianity in the cradle of Christendom. then i mean that's kind of amazing we had right over there at that chair we had a young Yazidi girl come in to see us a couple months ago now She had been kidnapped by an ISIS member. And right now, as we speak, there are 3,900 Yazidi girls are held as slaves. 3,900 are held as slaves by ISIS. Still held. Several thousand have gotten away, but 3,900 are still held. She said the person who held her and abused her was called Abdullah Ameriki. He used to show her pictures of his wife and children on his cell phone who were back in the United States. So if the church can't get worked up and doesn't contact their congressmen, so I would say to the faith community, did you contact your member of Congress on the issue of genocide? Have you contacted your member of Congress on the issue of anti-Semitism? Have you contacted your member of Congress on what's taking place to the Christian community in in Nigeria. And so, in some respects, the grade, if you will, is more to inform the churches as to their need to contact their members of Congress, House and Senate, on, on, on this issue. So I think initially you were looking and saying, well, well, Congressman next got this grade. Well, maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe the constituents from that Congressman should be doing more to let the member of Congress know if everyone were to contact a congressman on these issues, the member of Congress would almost certainly be for it. But if a member of Congress isn't hearing, maybe they're hearing from the farmers and maybe they're hearing from the auto mechanics or maybe they're hearing from the realtors. So they ought to hear from the faith community.
1: You know, Ed, what strikes me is sort of the need for persistent prayer in these areas and the need for prayer groups because prayer, persistent prayer, brings a lot of these things to action. And and I wonder a sense of are we as a nation in these communities, grassroots efforts, really praying about these issues to a point where people are willing to pick up the phone, people are willing to do this. It seems like, as the Congressman said, Twitter comes and goes. Twitter's a waterfall, You, you it comes one day, you forget it the next. but. But perhaps persistent prayer is something that just keeps being a theme for us is missing at the grassroots level. Well, well. And, and I
2: you are right, I'll tell you something. It's interesting. If you've ever been on one of these trips, at the end of a meeting you're out in a in a little rural village or in a you know wherever you are and you say, What can we do to help you? The first thing they always ask for is prayer. They don't ask you for food, for medicine, for they always ask you for prayer. Maybe sometimes the third or fourth is help us with health care. But it, the first thing is always, always prayer.
1: Yeah, I want to get back to this, uh, the idea of prayer, and, and take a step back into your own personal passions for this. How did your, your faith relationship come about that, that has driven you to this passionate work because I have to give you credit after a distinguished career in Congress, there are a lot of things you could be focused on. This has been a, a life's work for you in the public life and, and now through the Wilbur Forest Foundation. Ch- share with us a little bit about your, your own personal faith and how you've, you know, come to take on this mission.
2: Well, when I got elected to Congress in 1980, I had only been out of the country once. I think I've been to Canada. Not exactly. That still counts. Yeah, it counts. It counts, and, and great, great, great visit. I was in Calgary, but in 1984, uh, uh, I, I joined a, a small group in the early 80s with uh, several other congressmen, Republican and Democrat. One congressman in the group became my best friend in Congress, Congressman Tony Hall. He's a Democrat. lives in Arlington, actually. Now, great. He's from Dayton, Ohio. He had just been in Ethiopia and I had just gotten on the appropriation committee and he called me and said you got to go you don't remember the famine maybe but there was a major I don't know if you're old enough sure, to remember but there was a major famine in 1984. So I jumped in an airplane I went there I got waylaid in a, in a refugee camp and the embassy said I had to leave and I said I think I want to stay and a guy from World Vision said if you stay I'll stay. And we stayed, and it rained. We got waylaid there for a, a long time and days. And what I saw every morning, death, and I, the, the women would line up outside the, 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 the gate and wail with their kids, and I saw things. Then that changed me, and then in 85, Tony Hall, the same congressman, uh, asked me to go with him to, to Romania. I don't know if you remember uh, Ceausescu. It's, yes, was, absolutely. Romania was the darkest, both in Kilowatt, and evil place. I mean, it was worse there than it was in Moscow. They were bulldozing churches and, and um, so those two trips, uh, we went to Second Baptist Church of Variety, where Billy Graham had, had, had been to. And, uh, it was very moving and people would come up and put little notes in my hands and say, my husband's in jail or my son's in prison. And Those two trips changed everything and our small, it's its not really a Bible study, it's sort of a small covenant group where we pray with one another, pray for one another. That sort of spurred this on. If you look at my newsletters from 81, 82, 83, 84, it's about transportation, rail to Dulles, uh, I help fund Metro, uh, we put nighttime noise standards on at National Airport, we transfer a national airport over to a regional airport authority, but from 85 on these issues of human rights and religious freedom. And of course, uh, President Reagan was very strong on on these issues. When I got back from Ethiopia, I met with Reagan and Reagan did some amazing things. And when I got back from uh, Romania, uh, we met with Ronald, Ronald Reagan. So it was the trip to Ethiopia uh, in uh, December of 84 and the trip to Romania, in June of 85 that were the kind of life-changing uh, trips.
1: And uh, would you say those are among your proudest moments in 30, 34 years in Congress? Yeah, I think
2: so. They were the most profound, proud, I won't use the word that, but they were the ones that really had an impact and change. And as you get into the Gospel, Jesus talks a lot about the poor. If you look at uh, Luke 4, when Jesus is reading from, the, uh, from uh, in, in the synagogue in Nazareth, talk talks about the poor, talks about the oppressed and so there are a lot of passages in the Bible. In fact, Jesus talks more about the poor, I think, than any anything else. And there's a lot of passages about oppression, and there are, to whom much is given, much is expected, in Luke, I think. And then there's also the the accountability that we're gonna all be held accountable when we come to the end, which for some of us will be closer than others. And so I, I think it's a real, if you have the ability to do something and you don't do something, then you know, I mean, So, do these
1: prayer groups exist co- commonly on uh, Capitol Hill? Is that is that group still together? I, that's probably something that your average voter citizen doesn't realize that congressmen, like all of us, come together and, and pray. There are at times. some.
2: There are there are, there are there are not as many. Uh, Tony Tony and I still still meet uh, with 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 another guy. In fact, we were together yesterday. That's great. Uh, uh, but not as much. I I th- I think we're in a Polarized environment. I think most members would like to, except it's just different now. And so, um, but yes, there are there uh, there still are, and you still have the prayer breakfast, which which brings people uh, right. of of different backgrounds and different faiths to, uh, together, and uh, which is held every every year. So yes, there are, but perhaps not as many. But they're not meant to be public. They're not meant to be. Uh, uh technically there's no politics and and the theory is if you pray with one another pray for one another yes and also break bread with one another Some you imagine by eating with someone it's very difficult almost impossible to then go out on the floor and attack them and so the friendships develop and then tony and i used to take these trips to you know, Sierra Leone and the Congo together. And so our friendships kind of kind of kind of develop. So that's that's where the change really came. Yeah,
1: I, we have a lot of religious tensions right now inside the United States. Per- perhaps it's it's at one of the heights it is. in the past thirty thirty 30 years. How can we start a process of understanding and and tolerance between Muslims, Jews and, and Christians? Or And do you see any of that in, in, in floating around Congress or just here in the Northern Virginia area as you go around. There are groups like Voice that have been very active in trying to bring communities together. A- any thoughts on that?
0: And uh, we've got about three minutes. So I also, if you'd like to squeeze a call to action in there, I would listeners. love for you to do that as well.
2: Well, I do see efforts. Uh, I it's uh, I, I couldn't answer that question in three minutes. It's, it's really too, uh, uh, I do think uh, the church it's failing on the issue of religious freedom in many, many ways. Uh, James Madison, the, 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 the author of the Constitution basically, uh, said conscience is the most sacred of all property. And I think the ch- church needs to defend people of conscience. Dr. Martin Luther King did what he did because of his conscience. Read the letter from the Birmingham jail. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful letter. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, stood up to the Nazis and and I, I visited Bonhoeffer's house in, in Germany a couple of years ago and did what he did and literally gave his life because of his conscience and Thomas More, st- and so conscience, and so the church really is becoming very weak in advocate, I'm just shocked that the church in the West has not advocated for this woman. that I go, go, go Google, everyone listens. Asia Bibi, A-S-I-A, Bibi, Bibi, She's a Christian woman, a Catholic, who's under a death sentence, not a charge, sentence, sentence, has been on her for six years for taking a drink of water out of a cup and she's been charged for blasphemy. And the church in the West is silent the 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 catholic uh bishops that are under house arrest the 300 400 protestant pastors that are in jail and lawyers and pastors and uh the tibetan 130 tibetan monks and nuns have poured kerosene on their body i snuck into tibet back in the late 90s what they're doing to the tibetans and so i don't see the church doing very very much so i think i guess the 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 request is you know Read Luke 4 what Jesus says in the synagogue and, and read Ecclesiastes 4.1 and read all the different things and where it tells to advocate your part of the body and, and, and pray. But, but I, I really think the church is, is failing. And I, I think, and we don't have enough time to get into it, the church is missing an opportunity with the millennials.
1: That's right. Yeah, I'd agree with you 100% there. Look, I, I, this this has been great, and and you brought together. You know, as you talked about, I think the one thing that strikes me is getting out of your comfort zone and finding that that passion through your faith. As you said, you had been to Canada, and yet you just talked about sneaking into Tibet. I mean, these are courageous activities. That
2: not going to Canada is not. Yeah, Calgary. well, that's yeah, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> tremendous courage to go to Canada. <laughs> Calgary is a nice place. <laughs>
1: Well, look, thank, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Congressman. Well, for, for listeners who want to find out more about the 21st Century Wilberforce Initiative, please reach out to them and check out their website at 21 wilberforceorg For those interested in the International Religious Freedom Congressional Scorecard, you can find more information at irfsscorecard.org. A replay of this show can be found on the Grayson30.com and WERA.FM websites 24 hours after tonight's show. This show will also re-air on WERA this Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Ed, talk us out of this one.
0: Uh, this is Ed Nassau signing off from Grayson30 on WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.